Hello and welcome to Instant Transmission, a podcast where we discuss everything Dragon Ball and three signs that you may be the evil brother. With the original Dragon Ball series done and dusted, it's finally time to dive into the series that got me hooked on the franchise, but with a little twist. Tide and I will begin our review on the series Dragon Ball Z Kai. So grab your favorite training partner, pray you're the main character, and get ready to start your new training regiment. I'm your host, Dayton, and once again, I'm joined by my co-host, Todd. Hi. And this series review will be a little bit different than our previous reviews, as neither Todd nor I have seen Dragon Ball Z Kai. Tonight's episode will be covering episodes 1 through 10 as we dive headlong into the Saiyan arc. These episodes will be content-packed, so get ready for what may be a long cast on tonight's podcast. And with all of that covered, was there anything you wanted to add before we got things started, Todd? So I just want to talk briefly about what Dragon Ball Z Kai is, because I have a feeling there's a lot of people who don't know. So Dragon Ball Z Kai is Dragon Ball Z, except it's kind of a re-release or a remastering. Now, the it's not a remake like a Full Metal Brother, Full metal alchemist brotherhood or anything like that uh it's basically just they they kind of redid some of the coloring uh made it pop a little bit more and they the primary difference well i guess two primary differences is that they for the english dub they completely redubbed it so the the audio is i mean almost a 20 25 year difference between the original dragon ball z dub and they cut out all the filler. So it's kind of like recutting everything to make it fit into a much more condensed version of the show. Uh, Beyond that, it kind of originally got released in Japan in 2009. uh, And I think we ended up getting kind of a, a rendition of it in 2014. And that's, pretty much it but i'm excited to talk about kind of the differences between this one and the original because dayton and i are pretty damn familiar with the original dragon ball z yeah it's it's kind of i think that's where i got started i'm pretty sure where that's where you got started too as well todd right yeah yeah i think a lot of uh kids who grew up in the 90s were first exposed to dragon ball z even before dragon ball so yeah, just waiting for that that tsunami run to play some Dragon Ball each week, and and I mean, even though I do remember there was a fair amount of filler, I was always excited for the new ep- episode coming up. Oh yeah, me too. Even I mean, as a kid, even the filler I really enjoyed, but I think as an adult, I'm happy to avoid the filler. <laughs> well, um, with everything covered at this point, I think we're safe to get this thing started, and. Our first episode in the Saiyan arc is going to be the curtain opens on the battle. Son Goku returns. And yeah, we get kind of a a big backstory kind of cover of what happened in Dragon Ball at the beginning of DBZ Kai. And it's kind of crazy because it also gives us what I think would be spoilers for people who haven't seen the original Dragon Ball Z series. It's very much it's giving context like I mean, they they literally take toy animation, took the episode of Bardock TV special and they put that in the beginning of 
Dragon Ball Z Kai. So, I mean, it it's 100% like chronologically sound. It's showing us where Goku came from and it's showing, you know, that he was on this other planet where Frieza destroyed that planet uh, and Goku's real father was killed and then Goku got, you know, shunted off to another planet and avoided this horrible death. Um, but yeah, we we did not get that in the original Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> no, and that was honestly was kind of shocking to me, especially because I don't think I saw the original Bardock movie until years after I had seen the DBZ series. So I didn't there's no context like that for me when when I originally watched Dragon Ball. Oh wow, yeah. And it it's interesting. We'll we'll have to talk it more talk about it more as we get into these episodes because like you said, this could potentially be a spoiler or at least it kind of ruins some of the initial reveals in these first few episodes. Yeah, it's I mean, it's context I didn't have the first time around, so it's interesting that they gave it to me this time around and I don't know, it's I'm not sure how I feel about it. I mean, it's fine, I guess, but I don't know. I kind of like the the big reveal coming from Raditz that Goku is, you know, from another planet that that's shocking. Experiencing that with Goku and his friends is, I mean, I think it's amazing if you just follow the writing that way. I agree with you. I will say the, the thing that I like about this, I maybe minus the Bardock part. I really like the Dragon Ball recap. It's pretty, it's smartly done. It gives context for anyone who may not have watched the original Dragon Ball. And I don't feel like it overstays its welcome. It's probably four or five minutes of kind of Dragon Ball recap. And that's a lot of content to cover in that short of a period of time. Um, But I'm torn on the Bardock part. Like I, I get why they're doing it because again, for people who have not watched anything Dragon Ball, this is, this is giving them context for what the story is going to be moving forward. But I, I agree. I like that coming from Raditz in that sort of reveal. Yeah. And I mean, it's, I think it's well done. And I do agree. The Dragon Ball series review, I think is done about as well as you could do it. It's, You've only got a couple minutes to kind of catch people up. And I think it's it's more of a reminder for people who have seen the original Dragon Ball to kind of get everything fresh in their head and where the story left off at and to make sure that you're, you know, you're kind of aware of who these characters are when we pick up the story again. I think that's important because for anybody who grew up in the 90s and saw because Dragon Ball Z kind of got aired mostly before the original Dragon Ball outside of a couple of episodes and when you get thrown into this and you meet Piccolo and Piccolo hates Goku, you're like, who the fuck is this green guy? Why does he hate Goku? What's going on? <laughs> and all these people are showing up and you're like, all right, I guess they're they're friends. And then, you know, when things happen, you don't know who why they care about each other or who's on whose side. And I don't know. There's a lot of context that's kind of missed out on. It's honestly kind of remarkable that so many people, ourselves included, grew to love this show because Dragon Ball Z gives you no context for these things in the very beginning. <laughs> no, not at all. So it's, I mean, it's fun. It, I, they did a good job with the review um, and or the recap. And I'm, I mean, yeah, I guess we'll move on because we've gone over the, I guess, the first five minutes of this for too long. Uh, but yeah, the first thing I notice is once we get into it is honestly just how, how crisp the lines are on all the characters. That was the first thing I immediately noticed in the first shot with 
Goku at his house with Chi Chi, and they're just kind of doing, you know, homestead stuff. Goku's chopping down trees in the woods, and Chi Chi's at the home. And but the the line work was just something that instantly drew my eyes to it. How crisp the lines are on the characters. And again, for everybody, this is a remastering. And to me, it it wasn't even the, the line work as much as it was the the color correction that they did. Like Goku's orange gi really pops on the screen. And I'll we'll talk about this more as we move forward. But I actually like the color correction. There are some other things they did that I'm not a, as big of a fan of. Yeah, and yeah, we'll we'll break it down a little bit more. But the the story does begin with. Goku kind of at home with Chi-Chi and they're living their domestic life together. And we get a kind of a big reveal at the beginning that Goku has a new son and his name is Gohan, a name that we've heard before, right? Oh, yeah. We at least especially those of us who recently finished watching Dragon Ball, we're familiar with Grandpa Gohan, uh, Goku's adoptive grandfather. So he named his kid after his grandpa, which is a it's a sweet little detail. I like it. Yeah, and we got to we kind of get this um I'm going to say kind of arbitrary drama where Gohan's playing by the river and he falls in and gets swept away and Goku has to show up and kind of save him, but it also kind of speaks to the the character that is Gohan at this point in his life because Gohan is about the same age that we meet Goku when we start the original Dragon Ball series, but when we meet Goku, Goku's already kind of a martial artist and he's fishing and hunting on his own and doing all these crazy things and gohan can't even swim yeah and i mean gohan is a little bit younger they say that he's four years old here so he's he's very young but he doesn't have that he doesn't have that same feeling that goku had as a kid who's like he's i mean while goku was not the brightest kid on the planet he was self-sufficient he could you know kill animals make his own food uh, lived on his own in the basically in the wilderness in a tiny little hut. Uh, and so this is a big departure in terms of characterization between young Goku and young Gohan. And I, I kind of agree with you, Dayton, that this scene felt a little bit arbitrary to me, too, to leave in. But I think it's important because it speaks to Gohan's character, kind of what you were saying, because we eventually get Goku kind of swooping in on the Nimbus cloud to try to save Gohan who fell into the water, uh, eventually catching up to him um, as he kind of like falls down a waterfall and Goku catches him or finds him caught on a branch. Uh, but Goku's like, Hey, how did you get up here? Cause he's looking at this giant mountain peak uh, where the the river is that Gohan fell into, uh, and Gohan doesn't really provide an answer. So we're kind of getting <laughs> like Gohan seems weak, but there's also these hints that like there's something there, something different about him. Yeah, it's I mean it's it's Goku's child, right? It anything could happen with this kid. It could go in any direction. So I'm I'm glad they're they're planting some seeds, right? This is some foreshadowing, even if it's very light foreshadowing. And I think it's, it's clever storytelling. I agree. It's smart. Uh, so I, I understand why they kept that scene in there for sure. And it's pretty subtle. Uh, but we kind of move forward as Goku then takes Gohan to a friend reunion at Kame house with 
Master Roshi, Balma, Poir, Oolong, Krillin, kind of all the main the mainstays from the original Dragon Ball. Yeah, and it's this big, I guess, like you said, family reunion. And it's also the introduction of Gohan to all of Goku's friends with Balma and Roshi and Krillin and all of them. And they're all shocked to see that Goku actually has a child, a very small, dependent human being that relies on Goku to be alive. And I don't blame them, considering Goku's always kind of been, I guess, the child of the group, right? He's always been kind of the lighthearted, naive. I don't know. Everyone almost kind of has to take care of him in some sort of way outside of fighting. And it's kind of crazy, I guess, for them to see him with a kid. Yeah. And I don't think we've brought it up too much, but as we know, uh, at the end of Dragon Ball, Goku married Chi-Chi. So Chi-Chi is the the mother figure. And while a bit overbearing, she's certainly at least is capable of taking care of a child uh, and kind of covering for Goku's weaknesses, I suppose. But this is also, I mean, we're getting to see Goku grow up too. At the end of Dragon Ball, we kind of left him at, I believe he was 17 years old. So like just barely cresting into adulthood. And there's a, a five-year gap between the end of Dragon Ball and where we're at in Dragon Ball Z Kai. So he's around 23 years old. Uh, so he's, you know, he's kind of coming into his own as a young man at this point. Yeah, and meanwhile, while this reunion's going on, we do get a scene of this mysterious pod kind of crashing into the rural farmland. And we see this pod open up, revealing an alien figure that's wearing some crazy, weird-looking armor with some things strapped to his head. And we see this farmer kind of approach with his gun. He's very cautious. And when he goes to fire the gun, this figure grabs the bullet out of the air, flicks it back at him, firing it right through him, killing him right there in the spot. And we are already shown that this dude is a bad dude who means business. Yeah, he's also got some sort of device on his head that he uses to scan this farmer with shotgun who has what he says is a power level of five. And so we are being introduced to scouters and power levels. here. Episode one. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Uh, we do and, get this uh, mysterious alien figure after scanning around looking for higher power levels, find one that he likes, and then scream, where are you, Kakarot, and fly off. Yeah, and th I think this quickly turns into our alien figure here with the strange armor and the furry tail wrapped around his waist. He runs into a familiar face to us in our green friend Piccolo uh, and Piccolo Piccolo's response to this figure kind of flying in is, is very telling because Piccolo seems afraid, which is, you know, not something that probably we've ever seen from Piccolo thus far. Yeah. And as far as we know, for those of us who have seen the original Dragon Ball series, Piccolo is at least the, second strongest person on the planet and so if piccolo is afraid of somebody you know they mean business and when this figure arrives piccolo's kind of holding his ground he's exchanging you know simple fighting pleasantries back and forth but 
This does devolve into Piccolo launching a, a key attack that actually lands home on its target, but it does literally nothing. The figure is unscathed and honestly not even worried about Piccolo. And we've kind of talked about this before where, I mean, Piccolo was our last antagonist in Dragon Ball and Goku just barely squeaked by a win against him. And in this scene, our previous antagonist is being used as a measuring stick once more to show us that this guy with the long hair is far above and beyond the power that we have seen from Piccolo. Yeah, and honestly, it looks like Piccolo might be killed right there in the spot until this figure finds another power rating that catches his attention and causes him to zoom off before he can finish the job. Yeah, and I think as uh, we are... oh. You know what? I, I don't think I have notes on this, but I think that this actually our episode kind of wraps up with this figure arriving at Kame House. Is that right? Yeah. Um. So we go back to Kame House and there's a little bit more conversation between Goku and his friends. It's also where uh, Gohan's asked what he wants to be when he grows up and he says a scholar. And everyone's kind of flabbergasted that Goku's son's going to be a book nerd. And Goku reveals that Chi-Chi refuses to let Gohan learn martial arts. The world's been at peace for all these years. So there's no point. And almost as soon as he's done saying that, Goku senses the figure heading towards him. And he gets this just grim look on his face. He, It's the kind of terror you don't really see out of Goku. And we see why when this figure shows up. It's a... Uh, I mean, it's a rough situation, and the 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 figure mentions to Goku that he did not do his job, which was to exterminate every life form on the planet. Yeah, this is big. I mean, and this is kind of what Dayton and I were alluding to at the beginning of this episode, where this figure has a lot of information, a lot of exposition that reveals to us the audience things that we did not know about this world and about our main character goku uh so we are left with these questions like what is he talking about uh and i i think that mostly wraps up there was there any other details that i'm forgetting about um other than krillin stepping forward and getting whacked away oh, by yeah. a tail um, that more or less wraps up the episode, and that brings us straight into episode two, which is the enemy is Goku's older brother, the secret of the Saiyan strongest of warriors. And it immediately begins with Goku getting sick of being called Kakarot, and he defiantly declares that his name is Goku. And when this happens, the, Roshi is actually the one who steps forward to reveal that Goku was actually found in a space pod when he was a baby which the fact that roshi knew that and never told anybody over all these years would be mind-blowing to me that is a little wild and i mean it's it, it almost seems maybe a little contrived or convenient but i'm trying to think about why roshi would do that like is it trying to protect goku because admittedly all of Goku's friends have kept from him also the fact that he transforms into this giant 
ape creature, uh, which I mean, they I think some of them are aware that he had killed his grandfather. So I think they're definitely trying to protect him in that way. So mm-hmm. maybe it's another thing that Roshi's just trying to protect Goku, I guess. It could be, but Roshi continues to elaborate and tells everybody that when Goku was a very young child, that he was unruly and downright mean. And there was one day where he actually fell down a ravine and hit his head really, really hard to the point where he was at near death. But after Goku somehow miraculously recovered, he was, I guess, better demeanored. He was a good kid after that point. Yeah, and I I think our figure who around this time reveals his name to be Raditz, uh, I think he's even asking Goku or Kakarot, did you hit your head as a child? Because uh, he's like, what what happened? Uh, and this turns into Raditz revealing some of the the answers to the questions that we as the audience have as he's tells Goku that he's from another planet, planet Vegeta, and that he is Goku's brother. Yeah, and this is a huge reveal that they are both Saiyans from the planet Vegeta, and not only that, siblings. And Goku's dealing with a lot right now. He's just found out that he was sent from another planet to exterminate this planet, And this immensely powerful figure is actually his brother. And yeah, this is where Raditz also notices that Goku's biggest weapon that he was sent there with is gone. He notices that Goku's tail was actually removed from him. And this actually enrages Raditz. He's mad that his, well, his brother had his tail removed because he, Goku doesn't realize the power that it gave him or the lack of self-control that came with it. Yeah, absolutely. And we already kind of get this. I mean, we know that it allows now we know Saiyans to transform into this giant ape form. And that seems to be a point of pride and what is considered to be power for the Saiyans, uh, as we see in Raditz. Um, But Raditz kind of continues with a little bit more information uh, or background saying that their planet Vegeta was destroyed by a meteor, which is another interesting detail because since they included that bit in the beginning of the first episode with Bardock, we know that that's not true. We know (laughs) that Frieza, or at least this figure, was the one who destroyed the planet, um, but also says that including Goku, there are only four Saiyans alive after the destruction of their planet. Uh, And this kind of turns into Raditz saying that he was coming here to recruit Goku because the Saiyans are looking to take over another planet uh, and they think it's going to be difficult. So they want to have as many powerful fighters or Saiyans as they can. Uh, and Goku's like, nah, man, I don't want to kill people. I'm out. Like, I'm not, I'm not going with you. <laughs> yeah. And it's Raditz is a nice guy though. And yeah. when Goku refuses, he knocks the crap out of Goku and then steals his son as a bargaining chip. 
if Goku wants to get his son back, he should stack, I don't know, about a hundred dead human bodies on the beach or Gohan dies. So yeah, that's that's his offer to Goku is help exterminate this planet or your son dies. <laughs> I'm gonna take your kid. Kill 100 humans. Bye. <laughs> so if that doesn't convince somebody, I, I don't know what will. Yeah, and this is wild. I mean, Goku's friends more or less stand around and watch this happen. And I mean, I don't blame them. They're all significantly weaker than Goku. Uh, and, you know, Radis has already shown that he can whoop Krillin's ass, whoop Goku's ass. Uh, so, like, what what do they do in this moment? They 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 feel kind of helpless in this moment until... Another figure shows up <laughs> in the form of Piccolo. Yes. After Raditz steals Goku's son and leaves, Piccolo arrives just moments later, and he offers Goku an alliance to defeat the Saiyans. And there's not really much outside of this. It's Piccolo's not happy about it, but he understands that he needs help to, to kill this guy if he's going to eventually take over the world. And so they strike an alliance and the two fly off to confront Raditz. And it's at this point that I realize that this show is moving at absolute breakneck speed. I can't keep up with how fast the pace of the show is going. I have to pause it multiple times at this point just to try and make sure that I at least get the important details because there's so much in this. Yeah, it's it's dense, man, with how they've kind of crunched everything into a very short period of time i mean i like it but it's it's very quick there's actually a moment i think the reunion to me i'm partly glad that they kind of flew past it but also it made it feel maybe a little bit unnatural because it felt like there should have been more character interactions at the this reunion between them after not seeing each other for five years but I mean, I'll I'll take it. I've seen Dragon Ball Z, so I'm OK with kind of rocketing <laughs> through it. It it gets you the it, it's the same flavor without all the calories sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And this kind of takes us forward here as we now have Goku and Piccolo uh, arriving on the scene or tracking down Raditz. And Goku actually takes the dragon radar from Bulma because Gohan has the four star dragon ball on his hat. And so they can use the dragon radar to track down Gohan and Raditz. Uh, and we don't actually see Gohan on the scene. So Goku at the moment of arrival is kind of yelling at Raditz, like, what have you done with my son? Where is he? Yeah, and this is where Goku's able... He, actually, Raditz points Goku towards where his son's being held, and Gohan's just locked away, just kind of off to the side in, in his space pod that he arrived in on. And so Goku's kind of filled in on the situation pretty quick. And we also get one of the most Dragon Ball Z scenes ever after this, as Goku and Piccolo prepare for battle by taking off all of their training weights, baby. We're let, Let's go. This never gets old to me. I fucking love this. Uh, I did also want to point out, too, because in the moment that Raditz points Goku to Gohan in the pod, it is, I believe, the first time that we see Goku 
fly or use the the hovering technique or whatever you want to call it. He kind of because he used Nimbus to get to this location, but then he kind of floats up into the air to see Gohan in the pod. So this is kind of like the moment of transition where people are going to start getting the ability to fly all at once. That is true. I think towards the end of the original Dragon Ball series in the final tournament, Goku showed the ability to kind of float, but he wasn't able to fly. That's true. Yeah, I think he did stop himself or hover briefly. So it's interesting. Um, But this kind of starts the well, almost starts the fight because Raditz uh, detects their powers as they remove their their clothes. He first gets a read on them with their weighted clothes. We've got Piccolo at 322 power level and Goku at 334. And then as they remove their weighted clothes, we get Piccolo at 408 and Goku at 416. So for those power level lovers out there, (laughs) we're going to get to see these kind of escalate very quickly. Yeah, I can't wait until these numbers become irrelevant. <laughs> uh, it's going to happen fast. <laughs> yeah, and the the one last thing that Raditz mentions is that he doesn't care if he gets defeated because the other two Saiyans waiting in the wings are even stronger than him. And so it's he's doing everything in his power to make this feel like a no-hope situation for our heroes. Yeah, absolutely. And... We do begin the battle right at the tail end here as Raz basically dashes forward and elbows both of them in the head, uh, kind of delivering a little bit of dialogue to close out the episode in a very hopeless situation, which I think mostly takes us into the next episode. Yes, which is episode three, a battle with their lives on the line. Goku and Piccolo's fierce suicidal attack. And, oh, buddy, this is an episode. We get Goku and Piccolo just kind of doing a stare down with Raditz. And Goku actually admits that he's terrified in this moment, that this opponent is causing him fear, which is something that I I know Goku's been, I guess, less than confident about fighting opponents, but being terrified, having absolute fear is something that throughout the original Dragon Ball series, you don't encounter that very often if if at all really i don't think we've ever heard him express fear like vocally express that he was afraid of something so this is new and i mean it's interesting to think about too because in a way he has more to be afraid of losing like before in dragon ball if he dies it's kind of just you know it's only about him in that moment. You know, his friends will be upset, but now he has a child and a wife. So there's more to lose if something happens to him. Yeah. And there's, I mean, this battle pretty much kicks off right away afterwards with Raditz's unbelievable speed being just on a whole different level than our fighters. It's almost looked like he's fighting with, without effort and our heroes are basically unable to keep up with it. Yeah, and this is, uh, I'm going to bring up the animation here now because this was one of the points where it really like stuck out to me. Uh, as this fight begins, the there's certain panels or certain frames where it looks like they almost redrew them. So they have kind of this modern look, but it's not a good modern look i think i was telling dayton it looks like a 1990s flash animation it's 
it's rough. I'm not sure why they did that. If like maybe the originals, like the media has been damaged over 40 years and the, the scenes are not looking so hot, but it's not a good look in my opinion. And I, this was also one of the spots where I kind of noticed that there are scenes where they use, I think the original background, but completely redraw the, the character on set. And it the character just pops out so much that it looks like they shouldn't be on the same screen. You have this almost kind of pastel background that's very blended and a little rough because you can tell it's older. And then you have this hard-lined kind of computer technology faded character, or I'm sorry, blended character standing in the foreground. And it looks really bizarre. I don't know how I feel about it. Yeah, I'm a little bit torn. Like sometimes the the remastering looks good. And then other times I'm like, Ooh, why did they do that? (laughs) Yeah. And I will say this is also a fight where I thought most of the animation was pretty meh. There weren't really any long sequences that looked great. And there didn't seem to be a whole lot of thought to the fight. It's, it's also a brief fight too. And we get a couple exchanges. And one of the first exchanges, um, uh, Raditz launches, a, 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 Kai last at both Goku and Piccolo as they're repelled back from him and Goku narrowly dodges and Piccolo dodges a little less and actually loses one of his arms in in the preceding blast and it's just one of those scenes though where it happened and you know it's all right this does add weight but I wasn't impressed with any of the animation here it was I mean it was all right I mean, we just got done watching the Piccolo Jr. arc at the end of Dragon Ball, which has amazing animation and fight choreography. So it's hard to go from that to this fight where it's it's kind of meh. There's, I think, right after this, there's one sequence that I thought was not bad because Piccolo, having lost his arm, tells Goku, like, hey, we need a different plan, man. Uh, I've got... Uh, well he asked goku do you have any new techniques and goku's like nah i've been slacking so piccolo says okay well i've got a new one that i was going to murder you with uh (laughs) i can do it with one arm i just need you to distract raditz for a few minutes while i charge it up so goku goes in against raditz solo uh and there's kind of a cool exchange as Goku gets knocked around a little bit, but then uh, Goku charges in and leaps up with a Kamehameha, firing it down at the ground at Raditz. Raditz moves out of the way, but Goku turns the key blast to follow him. And then Raditz like stands there with a palm out and just full on takes it to the hand and basically like cancels out the energy. Uh, And it's, it's kind of a fun exchange. And then Raditz ends up, throwing a hand up into the air and blasting Goku out of the air with his own key blast. So it was, I would say one of the better exchanges in this fight. Yeah. And well, we get Goku kind of doing his job. He held, held up Raditz long enough for, for Piccolo to charge his new attack. And it really caught me off guard because they use the actual name of the attack and not special beam cannon, and I will not even try to pronounce the actual name of that attack. Makankosa po- Hey, I didn't mess it up, almost. <laughs> <laughs> so he launches the Maka- the special beam cannon or whatever, and this one, it misses. So all of Goku's time buying was pretty much for nothing. 
and we're kind of right back at square one as Raditz goes on the counterattack. Yeah, it kind of grazes Raditz's shoulder as he dodges out of the way, but it fucking blows up a mountain in the background <laughs> behind him. Uh, so it's a it would be a devastating attack had it hit. Uh, but this turns into with Goku having been like lying on the ground from the key blast. We see Goku get back up and lash on to Raditz's one weakness, his tail. Yeah, as Raditz lunges in to take out Piccolo, Goku stands up, grabbing Raditz's tail, paralyzing him. And we see Raditz start pleading for his life. We see Raditz start begging for mercy and to show mercy for his family and his older brother and and piccolo's he's charging up another special beam cannon and he's telling goku don't believe him he's lying you need to just hang on to that tail and this is where we see and i love that this happens in dragon ball it is the most goku move in the world we see goku believe raditz and actually let him go this is i mean for some reason i appreciate this scene so much more right now thinking about Goku's mentality, Raditz's mentality, but especially Piccolo's mentality, because Piccolo's here like, don't let him go, you idiot. If I were in that situation, I would lie to you relentlessly. (laughs) (laughs) Piccolo's the only person making sense in this whole situation. (laughs) That's how you know it's messed up. Oh, my gosh. And (laughs) as soon as soon as Goku releases Raditz, Goku gets to experience the folly of his naivety as Raditz begins just laying a whooping on him. Yeah, I mean, Raditz knocks him to the ground and then begins to stomp onto his chest. Uh, I mean, just calling him an idiot, which, let's be honest, Goku is an idiot for, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) for believing him. Like, what a a dumb move. Uh, And, you know, Piccolo's frustrated because he's... Because Goku's dumb. Like, why would you do this? You had him. Um, you, you won the fight right there. It was over, but Goku had to be naive. And once again, that causes Goku pain whenever he's naive. Yeah. So fortunately, though, uh, to come to both of our heroes aid here, we see the space pod begin to crack. And we see our, our young Gohan burst out of the space pod in anger, yelling at Raditz to leave his father alone. And then Gohan uses his headbutt attack on Raditz. Yeah, and and Raditz is, he's knocked back and he's stunned for a moment. And he can't believe that this little kid actually did some damage to him. He mentions that this is the first time somebody has actually hurt him in a fight. And he rewards gohan by giving him a power level 5000 backhand to knock him away yeah and i think there's even yeah there's even uh raditz what catches raditz attention in this moment is his scouter reads a power level of 1307 and that's coming from gohan and then immediately following that as gohan begins to cry gohan's power level is down to one which is uh, which is the moment that Raditz decides to just clobber him. <laughs> yeah, and Raditz is upset. He doesn't like being hurt. And he decides that he's going to kill Gohan at this point. He's done with him. 
And as he moves in to finish off the kid, we see Goku kind of leap back into action and he grabs Raditz from behind and gets him kind of in a, I guess, a what do you call it? Like a full Nelson? For sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he gets him in a full Nelson and now it's a battle between the, the beat up Goku and a beat up Raditz in this grapple fight. And this, I mean, Piccolo is still charging his Makankosa Po. Nice. Uh, yeah, I got it, man. <laughs> uh, but he's, I, I mean, he's telling, well, Goku is telling Piccolo to finish charging and fire the attack. But, I mean, Goku's body is up against his brother's, like, chest to back. There's no way that Piccolo is going to be able to hit Raditz without also hitting Goku and Goku saying, just do it. Yeah. And we get Raditz playing for his life again. And Goku's telling him, no, like I'm not letting you go this time. You're not getting away. And despite all of Raditz's playing, despite Goku putting his own life on the line, the special beam cannon is fired. And we see the two Saiyan warriors get pierced through by the attack and they both fall to the ground. Yeah, I mean, we're at the tail end of episode three and our primary protagonist. I mean, we got a few more moments of this scene, but he's dead, man. He's dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, we get we get Bulma, Roshi and Krillin kind of arriving at the later stages of the battle. We get a, a, a small moment with Krillin and Goku where Goku mentions, you know, so this is what dying is like, man, <laughs> just kind of having that moment. We see Krillin kind of have a, a heartfelt moment for his friend, and he promises him that he's going to get the Dragon Balls and bring him back. I'll be honest, this to me, like there have been a few, especially having just gone through the original Dragon Ball, there were a few tragic moments. I mean, of course, what they're referencing here, Krillin's death uh, at the hands of Tambourine was a tragic moment. I think this, at least from what we've seen most recently, is one of the best, the most well done tragic scenes. Uh, they they really get the music really well here. Uh, Goku's reference to Krillin dying and like having a, a emotional connection to that experience is is wild and really well done. Uh, and Krillin's response, like the the. I don't actually know the name of the English dub voice actor for Krillin, but his emotional response to Goku dying is incredible. So well done. And it's such a quick scene, too, because everything's moving at just such a high pace, but everything comes across well. Um, It's I mean, it's animated well outside of Goku's crappy looking black hole in his chest. I that stood out like a sore thumb to me this whole damn time. Okay, we gotta we gotta talk about this. <laughs> I'm so frustrated with this, uh, and I mean, I part of me understands they're trying to cater Dragon Ball to a younger audience, and so they. I literally, I t- I was telling Dayton before we recorded that I went on YouTube to watch the original. The original has a gaping black hole through Goku's torso. There's blood dripping and sprayed across his body. This one, they basically redrew his like chest and abs inside of like, it just looks like a big bruise on his chest. It looks, it's not good. 
It looks ridiculous. <laughs> it also like it. I mean, honestly, it also just looks weird too when he's moving around. The way it kind of just like I don't know, like fades and bulges, and it looks awful. It's distracting. Yeah, I was very frustrated by this level of censorship. It's one of the reasons why I really enjoyed Dragon Ball Z as a kid, because I was, I don't know, maybe 10 years old when I was watching it. And it's very, I mean, it's very dramatic. It's very, I mean, there are moments that are very tragic. It's its very violent. Uh, I don't think it's too violent for a kid to watch, but it has just enough to be like a little bit edgy for a young audience. Yeah, and this is, I actually put a note here that this is, this is telling you right here at this point that this is a different series than the original Dragon Ball. The tone is different. It's much more adult. Your main character just had a hole blasted through him. I mean, it's Kai, so we're three episodes in, but Dragon Ball Z is a completely different animal than Dragon Ball. And it's hard for me to compare the two because I, I think they try to do different things. And right here, we're seeing it. We're seeing it right at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And that's something that we talked about as we were covering Dragon Ball, that the tone really shifts and grows as you progress through the show. And like you said, Dayton, this is this is kind of the culmination of that, because this is feels like, while it's not necessarily an adult show, as much as I love this in my old age, uh, it, it's definitely a more matured show than kind of the humor that we got from the early arcs of Dragon Ball. Uh, but we kind of wrap up this episode, I think, on that tragic scene of Goku's last breath. Uh, was there anything else you wanted to talk about with that episode, Dayton? No, I just, I mean, it's a fantastic ending to the episode and it, it hit all the right notes other than the crappy chest wound. <laughs> that was not an improvement. Yeah. But that does bring us in episode four, which is Son Goku runs in the afterlife, the million kilometer serpent road. And yeah, we get a panning shot of Goku lying motionless on the ground as his friends kind of mourn his passing for a moment. And in the middle of this morning, we see his body mysteriously disappear. And Piccolo claims that this must be the handiwork of Kame. Which makes sense, right? We kind of know Kami is the god of Earth or the guardian of Earth, whatever you want to call him. So he clearly has some sort of plan for Goku, even in his death. And with Raditz lying on the ground dead, we get Bulma kind of taking Krillin with her to check the body, but to get the scouter because... Balma wants to check out this technology and she's going to kind of tinker with it. Uh, and while this is happening, Piccolo decides he's going to take Gohan, four-year-old Gohan, kidnap him, take him into the woods and train him. Yeah, and in one year, Raditz, or actually Raditz had told us, I forgot to even bring this up. There's so much stuff to cover. Uh, yeah, Raditz right. had mentioned before he died that the other Saiyans were listening in through his scouter and they will be arriving in one year to avenge him. And so this is what causes Piccolo to snatch up Gohan because he claims that they need all the help they can get when these Saiyans arrive. And Goku grabs Gohan 
tells the other Z fighters that they have to focus on locating the Dragon Balls to wish Goku back. And he's going to be trading uh, Goku's prodigy. Yeah. Yeah. Our evil Demon King Piccolo Jr. is training Goku's son, which is hilarious in its own right. Uh, but this kind of transitions into us getting. Is this our first peek at the other world? Uh, uh, it might be as we get to see King Yema at the check in desk for the realm of the dead. Uh, and Kami is, in fact, with Goku. Goku now having a halo over his head to indicate that he is no longer in the realm of the living. And King Yema is this gigantic devil looking character with kind of red skin, this black beard and horns. And in this moment, Kami is trying to get permission from King Yema to allow Goku to take the snake way to meet with King Kai, who will be his new mentor. Yeah. And we get Goku kind of being Goku and just having, you know, no filter. And he's just saying anything that comes to his mind. And he's asking how strong uh, King Kai is and how strong Yama is. And he's trying to figure out basically who he should train with. And he actually mentions that maybe he should train with King Yama because he seems pretty strong. And we get Kame whispering, no, no, you want to king or train with King Kai because he's even stronger. And King Yama overhears this and is not pleased. I actually like this bit of comedy here. This is pretty fun. I And I think Goku expresses this because he, he asked about uh, Raditz. Did Raditz come through here? And King Yama's like, yeah, I slapped that bitch down to hell. <laughs> <laughs> Which, that's an important point you just brought up. It's hell. It's not Hiffel. It is hell in this one, which is jarring to me. Yeah, it... We talked about this a little bit too, where the what they determined to censor in Kai has been strange. So, blood or any sort of even leaning towards gore is clearly out. Uh, however, what was originally censored from hell to Hiffel in the original 90s dub run of Dragon Ball Z. Apparently, hell's okay in 2010. Yeah, it's hell's okay. And also, Goku says damn it a couple times, I'm pretty sure. And that's okay. So you can say damn it, you can say hell, but you can't show some blood. It's weird, man. I'm I'm not a fan of what they choose. They're they're kind of cherry picking what to censor here. Uh, And I, I don't like that part. I'm enjoying watching this, but I don't like that part. The problem is that when you notice it, it stands out to you. It doesn't ruin the show, but you you don't forget it. And I wish they would just don't censor it. Make the show the way it needs to be. Make me a masterpiece that I can buy and put on a shelf and watch for forever. I agree. I That's how I feel. I, I want this. I want Kai to be that masterpiece. And it's it's good. It's fun. It's not quite what I want out of my mm. Dragon Ball Z. Not not so far anyway, at least from what I've seen. Maybe it gets better, but... Right. And Anyway, Goku is eventually given permission by King Yama to go down Snake Way to meet King Kai. And Snake Way is a one million mile long road from end to end. 
And Goku is warned to never fall off since he will never be allowed to come back if he does. Yeah, this is interesting, especially given like if for anybody who's watched the original Dragon Ball Z and we're we're going to kind of get into it. But there are a number of things that get cut out here uh, as Goku begins his journey on Snake Way. And we don't get we don't get the uh, Princess Snake and her castle and we don't get Goku actually falling off of Snake Way and going down into Hell or Hiffle and meeting the ogres. I'll be honest, I'm a little bit sad that we didn't get that part. I kind of <laughs> like that part. That, it could have been a five-minute scene, right? It could have been just a quick, fun scene where Goku gets down there and gets out real quick. I don't miss uh, the Princess Snake or whatever her name is. Honestly, I forgot about her until you brought her up right now. It's... It doesn't add a whole lot. We could have met the Ogre Brothers for just a minute just to say hi to them. They're funny characters. Um, but at the same time, they're also not necessary. It's still the same story without them. So I get why they cut it. Yeah, I agree. It's just kind of it, it feels like a fun piece of world building to get to see Goku fall into hell and then see what hell is like and see the ogres and stuff. And the ogres are just fun to me, but I'm not going to, you know, knock them for cutting it out. I'm really curious because I'm sure I will rewatch original Dragon Ball Z at some point in my own time. And I'm really curious how much world building we're cutting out by just staying strictly on the main story right now. I'm really curious how much context is is missing at this point. Yeah, and that's a that's a good point, too. I think some I think even some of the stuff that they're cutting might be canon in the manga. Uh, while some of the other stuff is not, I'm almost certain that, uh, princess snake is not, I think the ogres might be in the manga though. I'm not positive about that. I mean, either way, they're hilarious in uh, DBZ or bridge. So it's, it's a shame to see them go. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely agree, but we kind of move forward from this and we get a few brief scenes as Krillin is supposed to go tell chi chi exactly what happened with goku getting killed and gohan being kidnapped by piccolo and krillin ends up completely dropping the ball and chickening out and he he can't do it he can't tell chi chi what happened to her family <laughs> yeah he's being awkward and somehow ends up not telling her anything about her now late husband and ends up getting invited inside for dinner and so i guess none of this came up um, honestly, I thought this scene was funny and I'm glad they left it in. Um, but it doesn't really add a whole lot, but it just, it's Chi Chi doesn't know what's happened to Goku, I think is what it's, what it's reminding you. Yeah. And that's kind of the important part here is, I mean, Chi Chi's got to find out, right? Uh, but this kind of leads us to getting to see where Piccolo takes Gohan. Uh, and Gohan is, is crying. He's, you know, he's like, he, I mean, he just lost his father uh, and he's been kidnapped by this strange green man. <laughs> yeah, this is I mean, what a bad situation for a young kid, especially a young kid who's been I mean, he's four years old and all he's really been tasked to do is study and focus on school and worry about this. Right. It's he's had a warm bed and a hot meal every day of his life. And this is a jarring situation for such a young kid. This is a little bit of a tangent, but I desperately want to see somebody create a version of Dragon Ball that follows Gohan 
that focuses on the amount of trauma that this young child experiences like back to back to back to back because it's wild, man. This would mess you up for life. Yeah, there's there's probably a dark side there in Gohan that we, we don't want to see come out. It needs to be locked away. Just let him, you know, <laughs> let him do his thing, man. Yeah, but with the actual story here, Gohan gets, well, Piccolo grabs Gohan and says, hey, you've got a latent power that you need to unlock and chucks him at a mountain. (laughs) Uh, And as a result, Gohan, in kind of a survival instinct way, emits this vast key blast that destroys the mountain. I mean, it looks like something that we would see Piccolo himself fire off in destroying like cities and stuff like that. It's it's impressive. Yeah, and I mean, this is, I mean... Gohan's pretty much at the peak of of emotion right now. He because he passed out when Goku was killed, and he woke up to this green man who tells him, "Your dad's dead. I'm going to be your daddy for a little while. Also, I'm going to throw you at a mountain." That's a pretty rough day. <laughs> and then this is kind of where Piccolo declares that he's going to train Gohan, and the 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 whole reason behind this being that they need strong warriors to oppose the two Saiyans who are going to be arriving in a year. And I, I mean, I feel like Piccolo in some ways is kind of afraid. Like, I don't think that he would try to train Gohan if he weren't. I mean, he saw how powerful Raditz is and these guys are supposed to be far above and beyond that. I mean, and to some degree, I think, I think Piccolo is just trying to be pragmatic. He saw what Gohan was capable of and he's looking at Gohan like a weapon at this point. It's how do I get this kid to be able to tap into that? Because we're going to need it for the Saiyans that are on their way right now. Yeah, and that's a good point. I think he also even expresses like, what in the fuck am I doing? Like, I'm training this kid who will potentially become one of my greatest enemies in the future. He's the child of arguably my greatest enemy currently. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm going to go ahead and just introduce the next episode because it picks up basically right where we're leaving off right here, which is episode five, Wilderness Survival, The Moon Awakens Gohan. And we this is also where Piccolo explains what his training regiment is going to be for Gohan, which is for the first half of it, he's going to survive in the woods by himself. No help, just in the wild. He's got to figure it out. And this is all just to toughen up Gohan. This is wild, man. I mean, looking back at this as an adult, I'm like, you're leaving a four-year-old <laughs> in the wild and just to figure it out. And I mean, like, like at four years old, how well is are, are most four-year-olds even talking at that point? Like, the, the I the only reason I I can explain why Gohan's so well put together with his words is that he's been kind of studied, or I'm sorry, he's been studying his whole life for as long as he's been able to. So he probably sounds older than he actually is, too. Yes, as a result of Chi-Chi kind of pushing that down onto him. He's he's certainly intelligent. Of course, he's powerful, being Goku's kid, but it's still crazy. Uh, But we kind of cut from there. We get to see, actually, Kami and Popo talking a little bit about Piccolo and his crazy plan. But Kami says that he has foreseen that he and Piccolo will die in one year, uh, but he says he doesn't know the cause. 
Uh, and he's also kind of reflecting on the fact that Piccolo's temperament has changed a little bit. He doesn't seem quite as evil, I suppose. Yeah, and this is, I mean, this is some foreshadowing. They also work in a little bit of Goku kind of continuing along Snake Way, nearly falling off because he's, you know, he's taking it seriously, but not that seriously. And and we also get some shots of Gohan basically crying the entire time that he's in the woods. It's kind of a lot of things happening at once right now. Yeah, Gohan eventually escapes a dinosaur by leaping up into the air, but traps himself on a large plateau. And this turns into, I mean, it gets to nighttime and Piccolo ends up leaving apples for him. So we're starting to see this relationship build. And we're also starting to see Piccolo's demeanor changing to that of someone who is at least a little bit more caring, even if he left Gohan out in the wilderness. Yeah, Piccolo drops him off a couple apples because he's hungry, but... Gohan eats them and then cries because they were sour apples. And I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting. You're seeing kind of Gohan slowly working towards toughening up and we see Piccolo kind of working towards softening up. So it's maybe it's a relationship that will do both of them some good. Yeah. And that's a good point as they kind of move in the direction to meet in the middle a little bit. Uh, we do get a brief scene with Balma fixing up the scouter and she gets a reading on Roshi and Krillin with Roshi with a power level of 139 and Krillin with a power level of 206. So heck yeah, humans representing. Yeah. And she <laughs> even uh, managed to change the language on the scouter into God's language. <laughs> so now everybody can can actually read it. Yeah, yeah. Instead of getting our, uh, I don't even know what they speak on planet Vegeta. Vegetian? Uh, I guess. I, I don't, don't know. know. <laughs> they all seem to be speaking English as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> oh, shoot. But yeah, we get Yajirobe arriving at Kami House or and asking Krillin to go grab Tien and Chaozu and the gang to and head to Korin's Tower um, we also get Chi-Chi arriving at Kame House, and Roshi has to give her the bad news about Goku. Yeah, yeah. And this is, it's important to, it's important that Chi-Chi knows. Um, but, you know, what does she do? She she gets the bad news about Goku, but also Gohan. Uh, so she knows that Gohan's out there. He's alive, uh, presumably. But she she just has to sit back and wait for a year as her kid is gone doing who knows what in who knows what kind of danger i mean i i rip on chi chi a lot in for her writing in dragon ball z because it's it's just kind of frustrating and annoying but she's had to put up with a lot of shit too <laughs> i mean admittedly too right now nothing chi chi has really done has been really that egregious it's like we have a kid and i'm gonna raise him right and he's gonna go to school and and her reasoning is sound. It's the world's safe. There's nothing to worry about. He doesn't need to do martial arts. He needs to get a job and be able to raise a family and live a normal life. And I mean, honestly, that's a, those are respectable goals as far as a parent and I guess a realistic character would would have. That's true. And it, I, again, it, it kind of covers up for Goku's weaknesses because he's sure as hell not going to teach Gohan how to get a job and live in the real world. So <laughs> No, Goku's a wild woods man and, and Chi-Chi is not going to have two wild woods mans in her house. And I don't <laughs> blame her. 
Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, and this kind of turns into uh, we get to see Gohan once more at uh, we get to see Gohan once more at nighttime, and he recon or he acknowledges the full moon, and this turns into, of course, as we know, Saiyans now transforming into the their Ozaru or giant ape form uh and piccolo's like uh fuck as giant ape gohan begins just destroying everything around him yeah and piccolo actually with some pretty quick thinking he remembers raditz kind of mentioning something about the full moon being key to a saiyan's potential and i actually laughed because piccolo blows up the moon for a second time and I didn't realize that this was the second time, the first time I saw Dragon Ball Z. But now with the context of the first one, this was actually funny to me. Yeah, this is funny. And I think actually, as we've been watching, we've been watching through the dubs. I think in at the end of the Dragon Ball dub, I think that they actually did something where they kind of cover this because I think they said that Kami brought the moon back for something uh, I don't remember the exact moment, but I think it had to do with like when Kami was recreating Shenron and everything. Um, they, they did definitely mention something like that. I'm pretty sure it was Goku just like glossing over it real quick while he was talking to somebody. So it was, I think it was literally a sentence. It was not a scene. There was no animation for it. It's just like, oh yeah, I'm here to grab all the Dragon Balls because I'm training with God. Also, the moon's back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but at least they covered it. You know, they... They acknowledge like, oh, shit, we, there's a plot hole here. We fucked up. We got to put something in here. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, uh, it did It did make me laugh. And I do believe that. And I'm guessing this is probably um, like a dub with future knowledge. But Piccolo even mentions that this will be useful in our upcoming fight with the Saiyans. And that's a really key point. It makes blowing up the moon make a whole lot of sense if you want these Saiyans to not be all juiced up when they get here. Yeah, I mean, it's it's smart. And we know, especially those of us who have watched Dragon Ball Z, that Piccolo is kind of considered the the smart or the tactical fighter. Uh, I also, I'm, just as a quick aside on things that are they did with the dub to kind of fix continuity errors, in either the first or second episode, I forgot to mention it, but they have just a brief line where somebody asks, oh, where is launch? Oh, and yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. I thought that was great because somebody's like, oh, yeah, launch disappeared like five years ago. She went chasing after TN and then never showed back up. And it's like you said, Dayton, similar to the moon thing. It's literally a line or two, but at least it's covering up the fact that what the fuck happened to launch? Yeah, uh, in original Dragon Ball, she was there almost the entire time. She's an original character, and she's just not there in Z at all. Have no idea. And I'm okay with it. Launch really didn't add much to the story at all. But at least they cover what happened to her, if only briefly. So, <laughs> I mean, that's fair. But it, you're right. That, that scene did make me laugh. And I don't know. Sometimes dubisms are, are good like that. Yeah, I mean, it's good to uh, to do some writing with future knowledge of what's going to happen. So we uh, do get uh, from here. It's with the moon blown up and Gohan back into baby Gohan form. 
we get Piccolo removing Gohan's tail and giving him training clothes as this in the same color that Goku was wearing, but with Piccolo's crest on them. And I thought that was slick as hell. I I love this actually. I love getting to see Goku's gi and colors with the the demon kanji on the the back of it. It looks awesome. Also, we get the clothes beam trademark. Oh yeah. Love clothes beams. I mean Goku or not Goku. Piccolo is uh the other half of Kame and Kame makes stuff, so uh, uh Piccolo can make stuff, right? Is that how that works? Namekians are wizards apparently i don't fucking know <laughs> but with uh gohan now having his sick new threads and a sword not super relevant but he has a sword now um that brings us to the end of this episode which i believe rolls us right into episode six finally arriving at the end uh kayo sama's playful test i hope i did that right sounds right to me uh we kind of we get a look at gohan in the wilderness again uh, but this is a this is a new Gohan. We kind of get the impression there's a bit of a time jump here because Gohan's clothes are all beaten up. He's kind of leaping around the land with confidence. He kicks a tree to collect some berries. And the same dinosaur that we saw previous chases after him. Gohan dashes away, uh, leaps up to avoid the dinosaur. And then as the dinosaur bashes its head on a rock, Gohan chops off a slice of its tail and we can see Gohan has been doing this periodically shortening the dinosaur's tail and then cooks the meat uh, for sustenance. I mean, honestly, to some degree, it's kind of messed up that he's basically killing this dinosaur one little slice at a time. But I mean, it's it's there to show the the like you said, the confidence that Gohan has now where he once could barely stand and barely move. He's now thriving in the wild. And Piccolo notices this, and Piccolo declares that Gohan's ready for combat training. And this combat training is pretty brutal. It's mostly Piccolo beating up Gohan and telling him what he's doing wrong. <laughs> it's pretty excellent. Uh, there is a moment where Gohan is like, I can't, I can't follow you. I can't see what you're doing. You're moving too fast. And Piccolo says... Don't rely on your eyes. You have to feel your opponent. So I really like this as Piccolo is kind of getting Gohan to figure out how to feel energy and feel key. It's I like that there's at least that level of detail included in the training. Yeah, and it's I mean, I also always love the, you know, the teacher student dynamic. And this is definitely one of the more bizarre ones we've seen in all of Dragon Ball where you can't tell if Piccolo is actually being a teacher or just being a jerk at sometimes. He's certainly a harsh teacher. And I think there's a point in these episodes too, where Piccolo says that Goku would be a terrible teacher for Gohan uh, because he's just not hard enough. So I don't know. It's interesting. I, I, and I mean, Gohan definitely toughens up. So you got to, you got to say, there's definitely some results here. That come there from are it. some results uh, at what cost? Who knows all the trauma? I don't know if it's worth it or not, but kids getting tougher. But Gohan's not the only person going through a training regiment. We also see Krillin, Tien, Yamcha, Chaozu, and Yajirobe all at Kame's lookout to begin their own training, as well as Goku t continuing his way down Snake Way. So right now we pretty much have all the main characters in 
in Dragon Ball all being active and training and getting ready for this big fight. And I love it. I love all this preparation and build up that's happening right now. Me too. Training montage, baby. <laughs> and we kind of move forward, uh, getting to see Goku now make it to the end of Snake Way. Again, bypassing all that filler that was covered in Snake Way. Uh, and then noticing this tiny little planet up in the distance to which he leaps up to make it to the planet and then immediately gets sucked down to the ground, slammed into it. Uh, and he he can he can barely stand up. There's something weird about the gravity on this tiny little planet. Yeah, Goku, he can barely stand up and pull himself to his feet, let alone even walk. And while he's on this planet, he's greeted by what he thinks is King Kai, this monkey that greets him while he's on this planet. And this figure kind of begins going into this dance, this monkey figure. And Goku figures that this must be King Kai's strange training regiment. And so Goku begins going through these motions with the monkey until the actual King Kai introduces himself and asks if he can join in. Yeah, this is this is pretty funny. It's a funny little Dragon Ball comedy moment uh, where we get to see the actual form of King Kai in his kind of squat wide figure with blue skin, whiskers and antenna. I mean, he kind of has like a bug looking look to him. Uh, and at this point, Goku now seeing, oh, OK, this is the guy I need to talk to. He's the one who's going to train me. Uh King Kai basically says, I'm not going to train you until you can make me laugh. Yeah, and we get we get this kind of little joke off where your Goku tells three progressively, I'm going to say funnier jokes that eventually make King Kai laugh. But man, these are some these are some basic, pretty cringe level jokes that are being told right here. I mean, they're real bad, and they, I think it's it's intentional, right? Because Goku even expresses before he starts telling jokes, I've never told a joke in my life. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, one of them I wrote down is, I sold my car for gas money, and that's the joke. <laughs> that's the big one. That's the one that gets him over the end. That's yeah. the funniest joke he told. So, uh, but I mean, it's... If anything, it's supposed to speak more towards King Kai's character and how he's kind of a comedian and a funny guy. And he's he's kind of lighthearted. And I like this because when you look across all the different teachers that Goku has had, they're all very different in personality between Master Roshi and Korin and Kame and now King Kai. And it's a great way to have different personalities associated with the different teachings that he's getting. So I actually really like what it's telling me, even though the actual jokes aren't that funny. I think the storytelling is fantastic. I agree with you. One of the other things I actually really like about this too, is there's the implication because Goku says, I'm here because I want you to train me. And then King Kai says, I'm not going to train you until you can make me laugh. And then Goku's like, after making King Kai laugh, Goku says, can we start with the martial arts now? And King Kai is kind of like, oh, you're here for martial arts training. I thought you were here for comedy. <laughs> <laughs> There's kind of that implication there where I'm like, this dude just fucking ran 
miles across Snake Way just to get some comedy training. <laughs> oh, geez. Well, it's at, at this point, now that Goku's passed the, the joke test, King Kai is already kind of impressed with how Goku is handling the gravity on his planet, which he reveals is 10 times that of Earth. And this is kind of a huge reveal because I don't think we've done gravity training yet at this point. I don't think that's happened in Dragon Ball. No, no, I think you're right. I think that this is the first time we're going to get to see gravity training, but it's certainly not going to be the last. No, we we're going to see a lot more of this going forward. But Goku begins to explain the situation with the Saiyans to King Kai. And we see King Kai kind of showing some of his, I would say, godly ability or divine ability or whatever you want to call it by using his antenna to figure out where the Saiyans Goku is talking about are. And he says that they are 158 days from Earth at this point. Yeah. And this turns into Goku kind of being eager or feeling an urgency to get his training done because he needs to get back to earth to help his friends fight these Saiyans. And it took and him so, almost half of that year time he had just to make it to King Kai's place. Yeah. And that's a good point too. That was a, a heck of a trip just to get there. Uh, but this turns into King Kai then saying, okay, well, before I begin training you, your first task is to catch my monkey catch <laughs> bubbles yeah and this is i mean can i just say that i love this this is very alaroshi as far as style and feel and i love this level of training that goku's getting from king kai and there's a purpose to it king kai wants goku to get used to the gravity on his planet and so catching bubbles will basically prove that he's able to to move on the 10 times gravity uh, micro world that King Kai lives on. And it's it's clever and wholesome. And I don't know, I love it. Yeah, I I like it a lot too. And it's, it's unexpected, right? It doesn't feel like what you would expect traditional training to look like. But it turns into Goku, I mean, barely, like you said, Dayton, barely able to walk. Uh, so, I mean, just barely trying to chase this monkey until he removes his weighted clothes and then he's able to at least get into, you know, kind of a casual run. Uh, but I think either the the ending part here is a little bit murky where either at the tail end of this episode or right at the beginning of the next episode, King Kai tells Goku, hey, put that stuff back on. I want you to use that while you're doing this training. Yes, that happens at the beginning of episode seven, which is battle with tenfold gravity. Goku, your training is a foot race. And this is after, of course, Goku eats his 10,000 calorie meal that he's not very thankful for. Um, <laughs> King Kai orders him to put his weights back on because he's noticing Goku's starting to starting to move a little bit too quick, right? He's starting to get a little too used to the gravity and he he wants to up the training a little bit. And there's good reason for this. Apparently the Saiyan homeworld has the same gravity as King Kai's planet. And if he wants to be stronger than the Saiyans, he has to train at higher levels than what the Saiyans were used to. Yeah, this is cool. I mean, it it's interesting. And Goku even, there's like a little exchange where Goku's like, 
oh, well, you know, that's no big deal. I'm a Saiyan too. And King Kai doesn't give a response, but we kind of get this facial expression from King Kai like, the fuck? What? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's so Goku to, to just blurt something out like that and have no idea what the meaning of it is. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm also a Saiyan. Anyway, I'm going to go catch this monkey. <laughs> it's a great exchange. Like the writing and the, the cut for that is really well done. It's super fun. And while all this training is happening, we see some more training between Piccolo and Gohan. And we see Gohan kind of being pushed harder and harder as we see him kind of kind of hitting that next level with his training as time goes on, right? It's Gohan is is actually dodging attacks and is actually getting in attacks. And we see Piccolo, every time Gohan does well, Piccolo ramps it up a little bit more. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, there's a moment where Gohan lands a punch on Piccolo's face and then Piccolo fucking knocks his ass into the water. Uh, and then Gohan's like, I can't swim. And he's like, well, you got other things to worry about. As he lifts Gohan out of the water, beats his ass again, and then knocks him back into the water. <laughs> Yeah, it's I mean, it's absolutely brutal training. It's it, to some degree, pain might actually be Gohan's teacher at this point. But we are seeing those improvements, right? And we see Piccolo even there's a scene where they're, um, I guess, kind of having some downtime. And Piccolo sort of compliments Gohan by telling him how he's no longer crying like the baby he used to be. And Gohan sort of responds that his father said that Piccolo is more of a grump than an evil man. And this, I guess, compliment kind of catches Piccolo off guard, right? He's not used to anyone saying anything kind, I guess, is what I would call that. That's probably kind compared to what Piccolo has normally been called. Yeah, it, it's a funny thing, too, right? Because you're kind of getting this the writing for Gohan is good because it's kind of an unfiltered child's perspective where children don't, don't understand social norms. They don't care what they say really. So Gohan just kind of blurts this out, not really thinking about the ramifications or even thinking about how it's going to make Piccolo feel, but it clearly has an effect on Piccolo. I mean, for both Goku and Gohan to be like, ah, he's not so bad. Yeah, and I mean, it's a great scene. I'm glad they left the scene in here, and it's delivered very well. The voice acting all hits home. You get all the emotion out of the characters, even though the the lines aren't necessarily profound. I think it's all in the delivery. The, line, the lines are good, but the delivery is so good here. Is, that's what makes it work, and I really do have to compliment the voice acting back and forth on this one. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's really well done. Uh, we kind of keep moving forward as we get to see a little bit of our Z fighters training on Kami's lookout with Tien fighting. Dude, Yamcha. and it's awesome. We get a, we get like a montage and it's it's freaking great, man. I love training. Oh, yeah, this is cool. Uh, we get to see Krillin fighting Yajirobe and Yajirobe just not taking it very seriously. And I, I don't think I made a note, but I it's either this episode or the next episode when they're training where we get to see they're actually wearing the same weighted shirts that Goku wears. They're training in that weighted gear, which apparently was like Kami's doing, I guess. You know, now that you mention it, that was a show not tell moment where I think they they just put that stuff on, but they don't tell you about it. And you're right. That is the exact same stuff. I didn't even notice that until you mentioned it. So, yeah, they 
I don't know if it's here or later, like you said, but they do eventually put on the same weighted clothing that Goku had on. Holy crap, I didn't catch that. It's a really cool little detail because I was looking, I was like, oh, they've got different outfits. And then I'm like, wait, it's not different outfits. They're all wearing the same blue shirt that Goku wears. Uh, it was really a, just a really cool little detail. I love it. And I mean, with everyone going through their training, we see Goku kind of going through the, I guess, the end of his first leg of training as he starts really moving around in King Kai's planet and he's starting to use the terrain to his advantage. He's when Bubbles runs one way in the planet. It's such a small planet that Goku can run the other way and catch Bubbles on the other side of the planet. We see Goku hiding behind buildings and trees, and eventually he's able to catch uh, King Kai's monkey Bubbles and pass the first test. Yeah, this is cool. Uh, this is, it, it's fun to see Goku. I mean, Goku's not, Goku's not considered a smart character in Dragon Ball, but he's kind of a fighting savant and he's, he's certainly tactical, so this is that kind of coming out as he's like, well, I don't have to run in a straight line and just follow Bubbles. I'm going to go the other way and I'm going to cut his ass off. <laughs> and King Kai is actually very impressed by how quickly Goku has shown progress. And we see we get kind of some in, internal monologue from King Kai where he wonders if Goku could learn the Kaioken technique, which any Dragon Ball Z fan will know what that is and how... How powerful it can be. Kaio, what? Mm -hmm. Did I invent uh, that? <laughs> My name is in it. <laughs> <laughs> but this is, this kind of leads us into uh, Goku's next step in his training as we are introduced to Gregory the Grasshopper and King Kai tosses this wildly heavy hammer or mallet to Goku uh, that he then like kind of drops and sinks into the ground. And he says, you got to hit Gregory on the head with that mallet. That's your next chore. Yeah. And Goku struggles to even lift the mallet off the floor. And not only is Gregory tiny, but he can fly and he's using, I guess, key techniques to kind of knock Goku off balance. And, just when you thought Goku had made some headway, he's kind of back to square one with Gregory. Yeah, this is interesting. It's almost like a weird, I don't know if it's supposed to be sound or vibrations that Gregory's using. Uh, I guess maybe maybe a bit of both, like with grasshoppers, how they kind of rub their legs together or whatever. Uh, but it it it's enough to knock Goku on his ass multiple, multiple times. Uh, and so we get to also see our Z fighters then on Kami's lookout more or less complete their training. Uh, Kami's like y'all bitches strong as fuck. Uh, get off my lookout. Uh, and they, this is, th I had a note here. This is the moment where they actually remove their weighted clothes and they are presumably prepared and ready for the Saiyans. Uh, yeah, did let's see here. I think you might jump forward a little bit ahead of me. I think this is episode eight. Oh, sorry. Uh, oh, it might. It might be. Um, I had it on seven that kind of Gregory. Well, Goku completing Gregory's training as well, but maybe I had it in the wrong episode. Okay. Um. So I have at the beginning of episode eight, Goku 
concluding his training with Gregory. And we get this kind of final overview of how far things have come. And by the way, episode eight is uh, Come Forth Shenron. The Saiyan finally arrive on Earth. That singular Saiyan, according to Konzenshu. So don't don't come at me. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, okay, yeah, you're right. Goku does eventually tap Gregory on the head at the end of episode seven. And it's at the very, very tail end of it. That's where I got confused. Okay, yep. And we see kind of the last thing that we see is King Kai contemplating teaching Goku the spirit bomb. That's kind of the last thought we're left with. And what is the spirit bomb? What is this mysterious technique that King Kai is talking about? Yeah. So we're getting these hints at these techniques that King Kai wants to teach Goku. Uh, And as we kind of move into episode eight, It's again, another, what seems like another time jump forward uh, that kind of, as I'm now thinking about it, kind of parallels the jump forward that we got with Gohan because we now get to see Goku, whose gi is all beaten up and tattered from his training. Uh, And King Kai is giving him a couple of final little tests as he has him retake the test of catching bubbles, which Goku does in 0.8 seconds flat. And then retake the test of whacking Gregory on the head. And it takes Goku 1.2 seconds to almost just like instantly flash in front of Gregory and boop, little tap on the head. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a great way to show kind of where Goku measures up now and just how far he's come in this amount of time. And especially with DBZ Kai, where everything's moving at such breakneck speed, it's hard to, I guess feel how long these characters have been training for it's we've gone through so much we're on episode eight right now and we've had a battle goku's died everyone's training and goku has completed his training i mean it's crazy and we also get another reveal after this measuring stick moment where goku charges up his new technique the spirit bomb and we see him start focusing his energy into his hand and we see kind of power gathering from all around him as he kind of unveils this new technique. It's kind of awesome the way they do it too, as King Kai pulls forth this big heavy stone, hurls it at light speed around the planet. And Goku's able to nail this brick out of the air with his new technique. This is pretty cool. And King Kai explains a little bit about how the spirit bomb works and how it pulls energy from all of the life forms around and king kai elaborates saying that that's goku destroying that brick is kind of what he could do on this tiny little planet that is king kai's just imagine how much energy he could pull from the entire earth as well as the sun itself Uh, So we're going to it's clearly alluding to the fact that we're going to see a much more powerful version of the spirit bomb moving forward. But there's also a caveat here that I completely forgot about that King Kai says the spirit bomb can be very dangerous if you lose control of it. I think he even says that it could go so far as to destroy the planet. Yeah, he mentions that. He should only use it in an emergency because of its destructive power and that he should only ever use it once. And so these are the two caveats that he gives Goku about using the spirit bomb. Yeah, 
This is in, this is interesting, and I I think we're going to get some. Well, Dragon Ball has a tendency to say, "Hey, this technique or this transformation is dangerous," and then kind of forget about that over time, uh, which is a bit of a bummer. But I forgot that this was even in here at all about the Spirit Bomb. <laughs> I mean, at least, uh, well, we can talk about the Spirit Bomb some other time. But either way, Goku, for the first time in a while, has. I mean, gosh, actually, the show's going very quickly. But Goku has a new technique. And it's, I mean, it's fun. I'm excited to see this new technique. And we're going to probably see it sooner rather than later with the rate everything's moving at. And yeah, King Kai shifts from being impressed with Goku to going into complete panic as he realizes he lost track of time and that the Saiyans are going to arrive on Earth tomorrow. Yeah, and the problem here is that Goku, after being resurrected, which he hasn't been at this moment, then has to travel back from King Kai's planet to Earth. Uh, And in this case, has to travel all the way back across Snake Way, which we already know took Goku the better part of half a year to do. (laughs) Yeah, so this, I mean... Either there's a shortcut or this is going to be another measuring stick moment. So it's, we'll see. And I mean, we have the other problem, like you said, that Goku's technically still dead, but thankfully King Kai at least has the solution to that by becoming a living telephone that when you put your hand on him, you can call whoever you want. (laughs) Ring, ring, King Kai phone. Uh, But yeah, this turns into them contacting Master Roshi while he's, on the toilet, obviously. Uh, but they kind of had this conversation out about getting the Dragon Balls. Uh, they've already collected them, Roshi says. And uh, Goku says, all right, hurry up. Use those things. Resurrect me because I got to get back. <laughs> he also even tells Roshi that he's going to be late and that the other, well, the other Z fighters, they have to find a way to hold out until he can make it back. And so he kind of gives them the heads up that this situation is going to be dire. Yeah. I also, I made a note here and this might be, uh, this might be an anime only thing there later on when Goku shows off the instant transmission, King Kai says, Oh, if you wanted to learn the instant transmission, you could have just asked me. And King Kai demonstrates that he knows how to use the instant transmission. So there's, (laughs) (laughs) oh buddy this little bit of frustration in me that is like but king kai could have just instant transmissioned him over to even just to king yemas and then goku could have gone from there uh but there's a lot of plot holes in dragon ball that's we won't think too much about it that's yeah listen no one's said anything about instant transmission at this point so i'm going to ignore that it exists yeah it's fair (laughs) (laughs) but before Goku can leave King Kai's planet, he's got to get some new swag, right? Like he's wearing all these ratty clothes that he's been training in for six months. And King Kai decides to do, well, basically what Piccolo did and give him some new threads, kind of in his traditional, you know, orange and blue attire. But there's a slick new uh, crest on the back there with King Kai's name on it. This is my favorite look for Goku Full stop. I love the King Kai symbol on the back, but I also love him having the turtle symbol on the front to kind of pay homage to at least two of his most prominent teachers. Uh, Plus, 
it just looks so good. <laughs> it looks fantastic. It probably it, it's arguably his most iconic look. Yeah, yeah, I would definitely agree. And this uh, turns into, let's see, Gohan. Uh, we get a scene with Gohan again dodging attacks, dodging key blasts against Piccolo. Uh, and I, I made a note about the scene specifically because of some of the dialogue here that I really liked because. Gohan is able to dodge uh, most of the attacks until he gets close. And then Piccolo uses his eye beam to hit Gohan, uh, to which Gohan responds, you said you wouldn't use your eye beams thing. And Piccolo says, you can never trust your enemy, especially in a fight. And Gohan replies with, but you're not the enemy. This is, again fantastic writing like it's such a small little line and it means so much about these characters in this moment like piccolo we saw piccolo in at the end of dragon ball trying to kill goku trying to take over the world and gohan at this point just says you're not a you're not a bad guy like Again, the innocence of a child here. I love this scene. The innocence of a child and just how much, how much Gohan trusts Piccolo at this point. When yes. they started their adventure, adventure, Gohan, he hated Piccolo. He didn't want to be there. He, he, he was upset at the whole situation. And now Gohan fully embraces Piccolo as, as somebody who he can trust. And when Piccolo says, I'm not going to do something, Gohan believes him. Why would he believe otherwise? He's a kid and he trusts this person, you know? Yeah. I, maybe even saying that it's the innocence of a child isn't isn't quite the right way. I think you actually expressed it a little bit better, Dayton, where it's more about the fact that Gohan's been out here not only by himself uh, and learning to survive because of Piccolo, but then also training with Piccolo and so Goku, or sorry, Gohan is starting to see Piccolo's not so bad. Like Piccolo's, you know, trying to do something good for the people of Earth, do something good for me. And, you know, clearly, while in his own way, clearly cares about my well-being. So this is great character development. I love it. I believe there's even another moment around this point where where Piccolo goes a little bit too hard on Gohan, kind of knocking him down and... And we see, what is it? We get Piccolo actually showing some concern over possibly hurting Gohan, asking if he's all right, and maybe mentioning that he may have overdid it a little bit. And that's not something you hear from Piccolo, showing concern over another living person's life. I don't that's know. I mean, point. it's there's some back and forth wholesome moments in this. And this is also the point where we see Gohan kind of unexplained, you know, fashion change. <laughs> we were talking about this a little bit before before recording because there's just one scene and they're almost like they're maybe a couple minutes apart one scene with gohan in his orange gi like his father's and then the next scene that we see gohan and piccolo gohan's in the purple gi like piccolo's with the white headband <laughs> and the long hair it's they don't give any sort of explanation. We don't get to see the actual like change of attire, and it's it's not that big of a deal. It's just a little bit weird. <laughs> it, it's kind of jarring. It doesn't really affect anything, but you do notice it, and it did make me laugh a little bit. 
But I believe from here we do get a scene with uh, the Dragon Balls actually being gathered and Shenron being summoned. And we get a couple things with the wish-making here where Oolong suggests using Shenron to kill the Saiyans. But Shenron cannot grant that wish because it is outside of Kame's power. So that's the limitation of Shenron's ability, which is really interesting. Yeah, it's it's kind of like I I think I got too heady about this trying to think about like what does that mean? Does that mean like if let's say uh if Goku had made the Dragon Balls and Goku's clearly way stronger than Kami now, would Shenron then be more powerful and be able to do more stuff? I don't know. It's it's kind of weird like how do you measure that exactly? Yeah, and wait, so if the dragon can bring people back to life, can't Kame do it too? Like, what's what are the rules here? It feels strange. We, we I mean, honestly, we're never going to get a clear no. answer about this. So. <laughs> I mean, if anything, just the Dragon Balls just become a larger and larger plot hole in, in Dragon Ball as time goes on. Yeah, unfortunately. But this does result in Goku's resurrection at the hands of Shenron. Uh, so we know the Dragon Balls are now going to be dormant for a year. And Goku takes this moment to leap back onto Snake Way to get back to uh, King Yemma's place and get back to the Earth. Uh, There's also a a brief exchange between King Kai and Gregory where we find out that Goku is now, in fact, stronger than King Kai. Yeah, and I mean, it's... All this stuff is happening so quick, but I guess we did have some time jumps and we have seen Goku's just, I mean, insane improvement over his sessions with King Kai from going from being unable to move pretty much at all on his planet to thriving with full weights and everything on. Yeah, it's again, like you said, it's it's fast paced in this. I think in Dragon Ball Z, it took multiple, multiple, multiple episodes for Goku to finish his training, Uh, but I like I like the pace that we're moving at. It keeps things uh, keeps things moving, I guess. But we kind of wrap up this episode as we move into one of the cities here, one of the major cities, and we see two space pods crash into the into the city, into the ground. Uh, as people kind of encircle these craters that these space pods make, we get to see two forms, one large and imposing, bald with a handlebar mustache, and then another small, slender, with large, pointed hair, uh, both wearing armor that is akin to the armor that we saw with Raditz. And this is the arrival of the Saiyans on Earth. Yeah, and we're left with that cliffhanger at the end of Episode 8. So I think we should jump right into Episode 9, which is Yamcha's Hard Struggle, the Terrifying Cybermen. And the Saiyans immediately begin their rampage across Earth. And this is also kind of how they do their introduction with a back and forth between what we find out is Vegeta the smaller Saiyan, and Nappa, the larger handlebar mustache Saiyan. (laughs) And they waste no time wiping out an entire city, that is, until Vegeta tells him to settle it down 
we have a job to do. We have a planet to sell. And also, what if the Dragon Ball was in this city? Our whole wish would be kaputs, man. Yeah, yeah. So the, the Dragon Balls are kind of the important point here for these two. And so they begin looking around with their scouters because they want to find the strongest warriors here to question them. Uh, and Nappa says that there are multiple readings of power levels over 1,000, which surprises them. Uh, but they end up heading towards two of the highest power levels that are very nearby one another. Uh, and this kind of moves us to this sort of wasteland area where Krillin is shown flying into the scene to meet with Piccolo and Gohan. So we kind of get the impression that these two large power levels that the Saiyans are going towards are Piccolo and Gohan, uh, which is interesting. Like, I'm curious. They don't say the numbers, but I'd be curious to see what they get a reading on for Gohan when he's uh, not juiced up, I guess. Yeah. And... I mean, you're they're doing a good job of kind of putting all the pieces where they need to be. We see where everything's going. The Saiyans are they're using their scouting devices to track down the strongest fighters on Earth. And it doesn't take long for both of these Saiyans to reveal themselves. And now we've got a stare down between Piccolo, Krillin, and Gohan, and Vegeta and Nappa. And immediately they recognize Piccolo's voice that they overheard on their scouter device. And they know that he's the person they need to speak to about the Dragon Balls. They also identify, I believe for the first time, Piccolo as a Namekian, which Piccolo did not know. And also we get a cut to Kami, who did not know that he was a Namekian, this alien race. But Kami is kind of reflecting on the fact that he created the Dragon Balls as a sense of kind of longing for home. Yeah, he he said that he almost had this uncontrollable urge to create the Dragon Balls, like he was purpose-built to do it, and that he was able to not recreate home, but bring a part of his home with him was how he always described it. And it's, I mean, it's interesting. The the idea of Kame, who's almost like a godlike figure for Earth, not knowing his own origins and having a big reveal like that, it's, you can only imagine how somebody in his position would feel finding that out. Yeah, it's a big deal. And this kind of moves us to the Saiyans saying, give us the Dragon Balls. Uh, and this turns into a into napa pulling out these seeds and planting them into the ground and then kind of watering them or at least giving them some sort of food to make them grow the weird juice he gives them the weird juice yeah this sort of like green goo and out from the ground erupt these three foot tall green creatures with these bulbous heads and kind of three finger clawed hands and toes. Uh, and what we now know to be the Cybermen. Yeah. And they pretty much waste no time as these little green psychopaths 
launch their attack, and we see Piccolo and Krillin kind of keeping pace and battling pretty well, but Gohan is completely unner- unnerved, and he's he's not able to move. He's petrified. Yeah, Piccolo actually has to step in to protect Gohan briefly as the fight kind of like separates and they back off from one another, at which point Tien, Chaozu, and Yamcha arrive on the scene. And the Saiyans now notice that, hey, there's six of you and there's six of our Cybermen. Why don't we have a little game where you guys fight our Cybermen one-on-one? I'm not going to lie. This feels very World Martial Arts Tournament-esque, and I love this little mini tournament idea. It felt it felt amazing. I love that somehow Dragon Ball can be life-or-death situation, but also fun at the same time. It's great. I was totally down for this. Honestly, and, and I mean... <laughs> I even had this feeling knowing what happens going forward, but my immediate thought was, okay, this would be interesting. Most of them could probably hold their own, but what happens when Gohan gets in there one-on-one against the Cybermen? And of course, we don't get to see what would happen in that instance uh, because what does end up happening is Tien steps up first to fight one of the Cybermen and... I mean, Tien kind of is beating up this creature uh, pretty quickly here, but the creature's head splits open. It's kind of veiny green head and shoots out this white splooge out of its noggin. (laughs) And uh, it appears to be some sort of acid because while Tien dodges the attack, it eats away at the earth that it it ends up uh, kind of splashing onto. However, Tien elbows the creature, uh, knocking it out and basically defeating it. Yeah, the the creature kind of craters into the ground and Tien declares victory. And Vegeta's unimpressed with the performance of his warrior. And he shows it by vaporizing the down Cybermen. He kills his own warrior right in front of everyone's eyes. And it's kind of a shocking moment. It shows just how ruthless Vegeta really is. Yeah. We also are given a a bit of information about the Cybermen in that they are supposed to have a power level of 1,200, which is the equivalent of one Raditz. (laughs) So now we have another measuring stick, right? Yeah, exactly. So we're kind of getting to see, okay, well, at this point, Tien is apparently stronger than a Raditz, which... I mean, it's pretty damn impressive given the fact that, you know, Raditz kicked the crap out of Goku and Piccolo. Yeah, and remember, Goku's power level was just above 400 a year ago, and we know that Tien isn't as strong as Goku, so these uh these power levels are they're rising pretty quickly. Yeah, and that's not going to stop anytime soon <laughs> no, either. Nope, not at all, but speaking of high power levels Yamcha is stepping up to the plate next (laughs) and this one this one's interesting because the battle begins and we see the Cybermen and Yamcha just disappear they're gone and we see Gohan kind of struggling to find them he can't see where they're at and this is going to be a callback to what you talked about where Piccolo tells him you know remember to to you see with your body and not your eyes 
and we see Gohan kind of close his eyes and concentrate for a moment. And we see him start kind of catching up to where the fight's going. And by the time Gohan's actually able to see it, we're at the end of Yamcha's fight where he outmaneuvers the Cybermen and, well, we think wins, knocking him hard into the ground just as Tien did. Yeah, and it's kind of a cool moment. It's it's a fun little exchange with Yamcha getting to see him use what looks like an afterimage to uh, Kamehameha. Uh, and, you know, Yamcha's being so cocky. He's being very full of himself in this moment. Like, all right, guys, I took out one of them. Why don't you just send the rest of them at me so that you guys don't have to worry about it? Uh, and in that moment, Vegeta's like, yeah, slow your roll, buddy. Uh, you're not finished yet. At which point the Cyberman leaps out of the crater, latches on to Yamcha. Yamcha cannot get free. And in a flash of light, the Cyberman explodes, detonating itself and killing Yamcha. Yeah, so we're we're at 50-50 as far as a success rate with our Z fighters. And this is kind of a real moment. And the first time I saw Dragon Ball Z, I didn't know who Yamcha was. And I was like, all right, well, that guy's dead. But now that I've watched Dragon Ball and I've had that adventure with him, he's, I mean, he's an original character. He's been there the whole time and he's no slouch. He's a decent fighter. And seeing him just kind of go down like that, just, I mean, it was unceremonious, right? It it was a coward's tactic to to kill an honorable man. Yeah, I mean, and admittedly, this is the sort of thing that, you know, a coward's tactic, like a underhanded tactic where, like, we already saw Raditz lying to Goku to get released so that he could continue to murder Goku and Piccolo. Uh, I mean, we know that, or we kind of see that Vegeta and Nappa are probably not any different. Like, they're going to do whatever it takes to win. And... I mean, we get the infamous or, well, I guess famous Yamcha pose uh, inside of the crater. <laughs> and yeah, to bring I it mean, up. <laughs> hey, man, there's a statue of that shit in Japan. <laughs> wow. Yeah. wow, wow, wow. <laughs> uh, but it, honestly, I really like the way that this is played out in Kai in particular, because, again, they do a great job with uh, making these tragic moments feel tragic. They've got really good music. We even get a scene with Balma is watching Yamcha on TV. She watches the death of her on and off partner on television. And uh, again, a great performance here from Krillin as Krillin's I mean, Krillin is, you know, he's earlier this year, he lost his best friend. Now he lost another close friend of his and he is pissed. Uh, and he kind of steps up to the plate to take on the next challenger. Yeah. And this is, I mean, this is a brutal scene for Krillin because TN tells him Krillin, don't worry. Or actually before Krillin got into the fight, Yamcha told Krillin to hang back because he can't be wished back with the Dragon Balls anymore, right? Yamcha stepped in front of Krillin during this fight, and it could have been Krillin who was lying in that crater. But the way things worked out, Krillin gets to live. And on top of that, Vegeta is just being awful. He tells Krillin to clear the trash from the battlefield so that way they can continue their fight. I mean, it is just awful. It's great writing, honestly. It really I, is. 
I really like this. It's good characterization for Vegeta. Uh, it's as much as people like to make fun of Yamcha for this moment in particular, it's really, I mean, it's, it's kind of a noble move on his part to be like, Hey, Krillin, you know, I, we know you've died once and we know that if you die again, you can't be resurrected with the dragon balls. So Yamcha's like, let me go in there. If anything happens, you know, you guys can still wish me back. Uh, I mean, doing that with the idea that you might get killed, even if you can get wished back, it's pretty damn noble, man. It really is. And I love the voice acting in Krillin during all of this, just the delivery. And at the very end of the episode, Krillin is pissed. He's done with this. And we see him start charging up his key, asking everybody to stand back. And we're kind of left on that cliffhanger. Yeah. Yeah, this is, I mean, this is excellent. It's suspense. It's suspense. It's written so well. I love it. And I'm not going to stop here because I want to know what happens, which is in episode 10. Wait, Chaozu, Tian Shinhan's screaming Kikoho. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we pick back up where Krillin is gathering an intense amount of key in his hands. And we see him kind of launch this slow-moving, just large key blast towards the Cybermen and Saiyans, and they all jump out of the way. It's an easy enough dodge. Krillin grabs the beam, you know, controlling it, turns it up into the air. There's this big explosion as this rain of smaller beams comes down and starts impacting all the Cybermen and both Saiyans all in one blast. This is awesome, and I think both Dayton and I really love Krillin. So this is his scatter bullet technique. I love that this is building off of a new technique that we saw Krillin pull out in the last tournament. If we're kind of going chronologically, like in the 23rd World Martial Arts Tournament where Piccolo Jr. almost murdered everybody, uh, Krillin used a very similar technique that was like a turning key blast uh and then this one is a turning key blast that then splits into multiple key blasts that are controlled it's really cool it's cool to see krillin's continued progression with this yeah and it's an adaptation it doesn't feel like it came from nowhere if you watch dragon ball it's a natural progression and it's good writing it's good ability development i'm a huge fan of it and on top of that i love the aftermath because krillin wipes out all of the Cybermen, except for one who snuck away into a, a crevice and leaps out during the chaos to try and grab onto Gohan. And Piccolo actually steps in to save Gohan once again. And I love this. He grabs the Cybermen by the arm before he can grab Gohan, turns and hurls him into the air, and then just opens his mouth and fires this quick key blast that just vaporizes the Cybermen. It is a brutal sequence and I love it. Yeah, it's one of maybe one of the most savage deaths that we get to see here. Uh, it just it feels so good. Like he's just chucking the Cybermen into the air like uh, like a skeet shoot. Um, it's it's really cool. Uh, but that I mean, that accounts for all of our Cybermen. They have now been wiped out we are down one z fighter and down six cybermen but we've still got 
two very powerful enemies to deal with in Nappa and Vegeta, who were also targets of Krillin's scatter bullet, but come out completely unfazed by this attack. Yeah, and Krillin even mentions that he put everything into that attack, but this is now the, the beginning of the actual battle, and Nappa steps forward, and he's got his eyeball on Krillin because he's looking to get a piece of, uh, uh, well, a piece of the guy who just killed all of his Cybermen. Yeah, yeah. And as a result, I think this is where Piccolo kind of steps in with a key blast of his own, uh, trying to hit Nappa unaware. However, Nappa just barely dodges out of the way, the key blast destroying rocks in the background instead. Uh, and Nappa then kicks piccolo blasting him through one of the nearby mountains uh and then nappa charging up um while chaotzu kind of attempts to hypnotize him nappa's like get the hell out of here you little fly and gives him a mouth key blast that just knocks him out of the fight uh and then we get an epic moment here as nappa hones in on tn yeah, and it's now Tien's turn to take on the, the hulking Saiyan. And there's one thing I want to point out. T, they do a great job with Nappa and having attacks that connect have weight. So the battle between Tien and Nappa is, it's a pretty short but brutal exchange where Tien is basically outclassed. Tien doesn't land a blow. He gets outmaneuvered. And we get this, I guess, karate chop. I don't know how else to describe it. That lands hard on Tian's arm and cuts right through it. And, you know, this isn't a Namekian. This is a, a regular old human who just had his arm chopped off from him. Yeah, this is wild. I'll be honest. I I both love this scene and also get a laugh out of it because I, I know you described it as a chop and I think it's probably supposed to be more of a chop, but visually it looks like Nappa just full on punches TN's arm off. <laughs> Bro punched my arm off. <laughs> and it's like a clean, like it is a full on line straight through TN's arm. Uh, <laughs> I so will say just... I was disappointed with the lack of blood from an arm being chopped off and you know i don't i didn't look that up for the original to see if that got censored at all but i don't think that it's i don't think it's a terribly graphically bloody scene even the in the original dragon ball z so i don't think so either but dude had his arm chopped off give me give me some blood or something come on i want just a, just a taste of gore not too much yeah yeah i don't blame you on that one but I mean, we've at this point, we've lost a Z fighter. We've lost an arm. Uh, <laughs> our Z fighters are getting messed up and they're I mean, they're only fighting Napa right now. They haven't even started with Vegeta. <laughs> yeah. And after TN gets his arm chopped off and then just blasted cratered into the ground, we get Krillin kind of attempting to step in and help. But before Krillin can do anything, we just get Napa waving his arm and just a series of key blasts just detonate the ground and even piccolo looks at the craters that they leave and just mentions how they just they seem endlessly deep kind of showing how powerful napa is compared to everybody else yeah and in this moment that is starting to feel more and more hopeless 
Chiaotzu leaps out and lashes on to Nappa's back. And given the size differential here, Nappa can't quite reach back and get this little gnat off of him. And so he begins kind of like leaping into rocks, trying to smash Chiaotzu into the rocks. Uh, and Chiaotzu has a brief exchange, a uh, brief verbal exchange with Tien as Tien's like, stop, stop what you're doing. Don't do it. And Tien or Chiaotzu is like, I don't want this guy to kill all of you. Uh, and we get our goodbye, Mr. Tien moment as Chiaotzu self-destructs on Nappa, leaving just a cloud of smoke in his wake. Yeah, and we get this moment where Tien is kind of both angry and mourning over his, well, his best friend's death. And he understands that Chaozu's already been wished back by the Dragon Balls, and this truly is his, his final farewell. And to kind of add icing to this, I guess, shit cake, well, Nappa's fine. This attack had no effect on on the Saiyan warrior. And Chaozu's sacrifice was pretty much in vain. Yeah. And, I mean, to speak of excellent vocal performances, Tien here and Tien's voice actor, phenomenal. As Tien goes on the offensive, basically getting pummeled, but still trying to trying to avenge, like you said, the death of his best friend who no, who can now not be brought back. Um, but Nappa is just beating the shit out of Tien, no matter how hard he tries. And as Krillin tries to run in and help his friend, Piccolo says, no, stop. We're not going to have a chance unless we attack him while he's mid-attack and he's not expecting it and we need to coordinate so piccolo calls this coordinated attack with krillin and gohan and so they they kind of move in formation to execute this attack so there's a few things i really love about all that's happening right here right one is as i mentioned earlier about the the weight of the punches and kicks that are being delivered in this the the fight animation, the choreography has been mediocre so far. The animation has been pretty mediocre so far. Not bad, not, you know, not great. But this scene with Tien just getting pummeled, because the weight of each blow is so well conveyed, you really feel like Tien is just getting just brutalized out there. You understand why Krillin wants to rush in and help. And I love this moment, too, of their coordination, because... Vegeta overhears the whole thing and he just wishes them good luck. He's not even worried. It's hilarious. It also speaks to one, how powerful they think they are. And two, how they're not. I mean, I don't know if it's ego or I don't know if it's a power difference, but Vegeta just has full confidence that whatever they do will fail. Yeah, probably a combination. Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. And Vegeta's thoughts kind of come to fruition here as Krillin and Piccolo in succession kind of deliver blows to Nappa, bashing him one way, uh, the other delivering a blow, knocking Nappa directly towards Gohan, expecting there to be a third, a third blow delivered to the Saiyan. Uh, Gohan, however, 
is frozen in fear as the other two Z fighters kind of yell at him to attack. Gohan runs away behind a rock, which causes Piccolo and Krillin to try to improvise and fire key blasts at Nappa, which he easily dodges in the last moment. Yeah, and this is kind of a um, a hope for victory fades moment as their one chance to take down Nappa kind of slips away from them as Gohan is unable to contribute to the fight. And we know Nappa is more powerful than any one of them individually, and the element of surprise is gone. And we even get a moment where we get a scene with Kame kind of contemplating his death. And Tien is remembering his, you know, his lost best friend. And they have this somber music that's accompanying this little, this little somber montage. It's a really nice scene to kind of frame how bad everything really is right now. Yeah, this is excellent. And again, great delivery here. I, I had to look it up. I think it's Sunny Straight here. Or well, sorry, that's Sunny Straight for Krillin, but TN's voice actor here uh is does an excellent job as he delivers a one-handed tri-beam, uh putting all of his energy into it. And it for anybody who has watched Dragon Ball, th- the detail here is important where we've been told that the tri-beam is a dangerous technique because it pulls from your very life force to deal damage to your opponent. And in doing so, Tien blasts Nappa and falls over dead. Hurting Nappa, but not dealing nearly enough damage to even come close to making him uh, making this a fight in favor of the Z fighters. I will say the explosion looked fantastic with the, the, I guess the upgraded colors or whatever. I don't know if this was a new frame or if they just touched it up, but the explosion looked great. The sound effects were fantastic. Um, The voice acting was great here for, uh, I guess, showcasing a, a really powerful kind of heartfelt moment. I think they did a fantastic job. This tri beam blast was I mean, perfectly done. There was nothing I would change about it. I think that they did a great job of trying to convey all the emotion that TN was feeling right there and putting it into one attack. Yeah, it's great. I I love this moment. Um, and I mean, this is continuing our theme here where things are becoming more and more dire. We've lost Yamcha. We've lost TN. We've lost Chaozu. We're down three of our six Z fighters. And I think the combat here has only been maybe two episodes worth of fighting. Yeah. Uh, and it, I mean, and all we've really gotten out of it is, is some henchmen were killed and Napa is, he's not in bad shape, he, but he's just showing a little battle where he's, you know, he's got a little bit of a, you know, bloody lip or something and his armor's a little beat up and maybe he has some singed hair, but I mean, he's fully functional. And he's ready to keep going. So things are looking bad. And as the Z fighters continue to fall, I mean, hope is starting to drain with it. We see Krillin kind of mourning the death of one of his other fallen friends and TN. And we see him actually stop and scream out for Goku. And this actually catches Vegeta's attention. As Nappa goes to charge in for what should be the final assault, Vegeta calls him to heal and he asks if this Goku is actually Kakarot. 
And of course, the Z fighters say, yeah, and he's way more powerful than us. He'd show you guys a thing or two. And the, the, the chance to fight a more powerful warrior is enough to get Vegeta to give them three hours to wait for Goku to arrive. And for some reason, I love this because this is such a theme with Saiyans. Letting the more powerful guy charge up, arrive, whatever. They always let the situation get as bad as it can be just to see if they can overcome it. I mean, and I agree with you. I think the thing that makes this moment great is that we've been seeing this with Goku for the entirety of Dragon Ball. And so now that we have this kind of uh, backwards knowledge that Goku is a Saiyan and we get to see that same behavior portrayed in Vegeta, it's like, oh, they're all like that. (laughs) It's in their blood. Goku has no control over it because none of them do. Yeah, apparently. Uh, But this is great. The other thing that I really like about this too is that even Piccolo, of all people, says, just wait until Goku gets here. He's going to show you guys what for. That's wild to me that Piccolo is saying that uh, as somebody who hates and wants to murder Goku. I mean, if, yeah, it is, it's really speaking to how his character is. I mean, it's changing in, in rapid pace, but I mean, at heart, he's a survivalist. That's probably the number one motivation for most of what he does. And he knows he can't win without Goku at this point. So he's probably the type of guy who will say whatever he needs to to make sure Goku arrives. So that way they I'm guessing he might be thinking that him and Goku will beat them. But I mean, who knows? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, that's a good point, too. And This is interesting because as Vegeta says, hey, we'll give you three hours. We'll wait three hours to see if this strong guy gets here. If not, we're going to wipe the floor with you. And Nappa in this moment is like, nah, fuck that. I'm going to kill these guys right now. And he dashes forward, getting ready to attack them again. And Vegeta yells at Nappa saying, are you about ready to disobey a direct order? And you kind of get this sense of fear from Nappa as Vegeta starts to lose it just a little bit. And this is kind of where the, uh, this is almost like a little bit of a, a, a trope now, but you have kind of like the, the big guy who looks like he should be big and strong and imposing. And then you have the little guy who clearly is the stronger of the two. Yeah. And the, the, I believe Piccolo picks up on this and he even thinks to himself, wow, if that guy's in charge, he must be stronger than this guy we've been fighting, which means that we're in big trouble. Yeah, I mean, Nappa's been wiping the floor with them, and Vegeta is clearly significantly stronger. <laughs> yeah, and it's, I mean, it's a bad situation, and I mean, give the DBZ writers credit, they've done a fantastic job of building up suspense in this series. Like, I'm hooked in. The stakes have never been higher, and... We talked about this before, but I'm going to keep bringing it up. Dragon Ball Z has a different tone 
than Dragon Ball. It feels much more serious. They don't really pull punches. If if they got to kill a guy, they'll kill a guy. Yeah, and they, I mean, we're 10 episodes into Dragon Ball Z, and we've seen four of the main protagonists die at this point. <laughs> uh, and I mean, of course, we we know as Dragon Ball fans that they have the Dragon Ball, so death doesn't have the same sort of ramifications that it might in a different story. But still, the fact that they're willing to go so far as to murder their characters, it's 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 setting a very different tone, like you said, Dayton. And I will say, having the context of the original Dragon Ball series now, watching this, it it makes so much more sense. It's a it's a much better series having that context behind it. And I think we mentioned this before. We both enjoyed it without that context before as young adults. But I mean, so far, it's aged like fine wine. I'm very, very happy with kind of the direction things are going. I have some questions about some of the the artistic direction and I guess things they decided to cut in DBZ Kai, but I'm going to kind of reserve some of that until later until I watch a little bit more, but I agree with some disagree with others. I don't know how much of an improvement it is over the original, but it's at least quick. And as somebody who's seen the original, it's, it's scratching the itch so far. Yeah. I think that's something that, I mean, we're only 10 episodes into Kai and so I think that's something that we're probably going to continue to examine and discuss further as we move forward in terms of the the changes, like the things that they've cut out, the things that they've decided to include, uh, or the changes that they've made in terms of whether it be animation or the dub, like the lines and the writing. Um, a lot of it, I, I think I've, I'm in the same camp as you right now, Dayton, because I like a lot of it. I think the the dubs have been a big improvement. The color corrections have been an improvement, even fixing Vegeta's color palette. I don't know if you remember the first time that they showed Vegeta originally. He had brown hair and like this hideous looking like green armor and stuff. Oh, no. I just assumed uh, it was weird lighting. No, they they... They didn't have his full color palette from Akira Toriyama at the time, so they just made one up. <laughs> and then later, Akira Toriyama was like, nah, man, he's supposed to have black hair, and he's got, like, white and tan armor. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. You know, little details like what color the character's clothes are. Yeah, not important, but <laughs> oh, but they my. did fix that, so, you know, good on them for fixing that part. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I do want to say, too... Uh, not Kai specific here, but Saiyan arc specific. I love group combat in Dragon Ball, and we do not get enough of it. As much as I love the, you know, one-on-one, like, hey, this is kind of an ego thing, and we want to see who's got the bigger dick in this moment. I really love getting to see weaker opponents fight against a single stronger opponent and trying to tactically figure that out. And it, it, it feels like a very hopeless situation. Like this one does. It's, it's really cool. And the Saiyan arc does that excellently. Yeah. And I mean, it makes, it makes your opponent just feel monstrous, right? Like the introduction to Raditz was Goku had to give his life just to beat one of them. And the teamwork between Goku and Piccolo was a lot of fun to watch. And now we're seeing all of our our previous heroes that honestly 
even in Dragon Ball, it seems like most of them got like their main arc and then they were kind of pushed off to the side a little bit. It's nice seeing them actually show up and have some screen time. And I mean, I'm having fun with it, even though they're all dying. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I just like getting to see them fight. I even like getting to see them use some new techniques like our scatter bullet and such. Uh, it's it's just a different type of entertainment than just seeing two guys slug fested out. I think it's one of the biggest differences is that when you have two people fighting, it's basically just, okay, who is the better fighter? Who is the stronger fighter? But when it's a bunch of weaker guys against one stronger guy, they really have to work smarter to make anything happen and make anything come out of that in their favor. Yeah. And I like with uh, Napa and Vegeta, I like the, the, the style of tactics they chose to try and defeat them. It was very cutthroat. It was very wait for the element of surprise. It's we're, we're fighting a tougher opponent. So we're only going to get one shot sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, in a way you could kind of, I mean, I know Piccolo's the one who suggested the, uh, the coordinated attack, it's kind of a sucker punch. Like it's kind of an underhanded tactic in a way, but I mean, of course, you know, Piccolo's like you've mentioned, Piccolo's a survivor. Piccolo's thinking we're way outclassed here, man. We got to use any and every tactic we can possibly pull out to even come out like on an even keel in this fight. And we we've already seen just how ruthless the Saiyans are, how they'll say or do anything to win. It's if anything, now it's a fair fight because everybody understands the rules, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, <laughs> if the Saiyans are going to be cutthroat, I mean, our our heroes got to be a little bit cutthroat as well. Uh, and so, I mean, this is the last episode that we're covering for this episode. I I thought this podcast episode was going to be shorter. And I was not considering how dense these episodes are. <laughs> yeah, I didn't look ahead. I just I was like, all right, 10 episodes. That should be a good amount. I know it goes a little quick. Oh, my gosh, it goes really quick. And each episode, it's there's so much that that you've got to keep track of because they also work in all these little one lines that mean something in the future. So you kind of have to go through and dissect all of that in a single episode, even though it's just they just said blank. Like, all right, well, blank means a lot of things, so we have to go over it and who they said it to and what it means to them as a character. Just, I mean, just like Gohan and Piccolo sitting around the campfire, just giving each other a couple compliments. Those compliments mean a whole lot to their characters and their development and where they are in their story arc. I mean, the, some of this stuff, they took an entire episode's worth of content and condensed it down to just a brief scene, and it needs to be covered. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I uh, honestly, I think almost every scene that they kept was worth keeping. There's there's almost no scene in here that feels extraneous or feels like it, it should have been removed. Uh, I think they've done a really good job of kind of piecing things together so far. Uh, I'm I'm a little bit worried about the animation choices uh, and some of the editing that they've done. I hope that doesn't ruin some of the bigger moments. But in terms of cutting things down, I'm pretty pleasantly surprised. Yeah, me too. I don't I mean, 
the fact that I'm thinking about did they leave out something? Like, that's what I'm worried about because, I mean, almost every bit of content they put in has been good, but for some reason that makes me worry that maybe there was some good content that got cut for for time's sake. I just, it, I don't know, man. It There's a lot in here, and there are some moments where I feel like they need to slow it down just a little bit to add some, I guess, some weight or emotional impact to certain situations, but... Other than that, I I think it's great. Yeah, I agree. I, as someone who is, and I think we both are big, big fans of Dragon Ball Z Abridged. One of the things that I don't like about Dragon Ball Z Abridged, and this is kind of a weird thing to say about it, but is that I worry that I'm missing out on cool moments from the original. And mostly it's it's the combat. Uh, I, I worry that there are cool combat scenes that I'm missing. And in Kai... I have a feeling they keep more of that, but I still have a feeling that there's some stuff for the fight scenes that they've probably cut out. I do know that there's a very clear scene in my head of, I believe it's Raditz and Goku. It's a very zoomed out view, but it's them with like the same three or four frames of them exchanging punches. And it's just them kind of moving around and it looks really awkward. I know that was cut and I don't blame them for it. Hey, that's a fair point. I mean, maybe they're keeping some of just the better fight sequences, too. And we're not we're not missing anything by them cutting out the bad fight sequences (laughs) or maybe even like recycled animation. If they, you know, how they tend to do that in Dragon Ball at times. Yeah, I actually noticed very maybe no recycled animations. I think this was pretty straight to the point. I don't think I saw anything that got recycled. So, I mean, that's, that's smart. Good on them for doing that. Yeah. I think, I think so far the first 10 episodes, DBZ Kai, you're getting a passing grade. I think you guys did a pretty good job with it. Yeah. I got a little bit annoyed with the censorship, particularly the, the hole in Goku's chest. Uh, There are a few panels and a few scenes that they kind of drew over that I wasn't a fan of. But overall, for like a general experience, I think I could overlook those. Uh, and yeah, it's it's pretty good so far. Yeah, I it's a good time. I'm I mean, honestly, I'm really excited to see what they do with the uh, the well, what's happening next because I've seen Dragon Ball Z. I know the future. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, with that. Uh, Gosh, if we, <laughs> I just want to also point out the Saiyan arc for Kai is only 16 episodes and we split it up into two podcast episodes covering episodes one through 10 and then 11 through 16. If we had covered the entire Saiyan arc in one, all 16 episodes, our podcast episode would have been 10 hours long. <laughs> <laughs> for a moment, we were worried that maybe, uh, maybe the next episode would be a little tough to stretch out long enough. I don't think it's going to be a problem. No, I seeing these episodes and knowing what's coming up, six episodes will be plenty for next time. <laughs> so strap yourselves in for next time, everybody. <laughs> With that, did you have anything else that you wanted to talk about for these 10 episodes? Uh, oh, geez, I, 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 my brain needs a rest. I've talked about plenty. <laughs> well, I think that's it for this episode of Instant Transmission, where we discuss everything Dragon Ball. This has been your host, Todd. And Dayton. Be sure to join us next time as Goku arrives on the scene to make his first big save in the second half of the Saiyan arc. Nappa's ready to kill off our remaining Z fighters, and Vegeta hasn't even joined the fray yet. 
How many more of Goku's comrades will be killed before he arrives? What kind of power does the prince of all troll dolls possess? <laughs> the fuck's a Kaioken? <laughs> Find out a next time. And to all our fellow Dragon Ball fans, stay safe out there. And remember to keep rocking the dragon. Can you imagine dying to Cyber Splooge?